What we do is we teach kids from age four to 14 fundamentally about computers and how computers think and how computers talk to one another. And they talk to one another through a language called coding. Of course, there's a lot of sub-languages under that, but you know, many people out there listening may have heard of things like JavaScript or Python or C Sharp. Those are all specific languages. But just like you and I can't communicate if we didn't know English, French or Spanish, etc., those are all languages. Same with computers. So you become illiterate in this new world if you cannot think and act like a computer. This episode is sponsored by Link. Are you someone who passes out a ton of business cards expecting a follow-up? With traditional business cards, as many of you know, they get lost. We are changing the way that we connect with new people. This easy-to-use product is great for anyone. Link offers a line of products that let you share information instantly with the people you meet. You can build a page that contains your contact information, website, social media links, photos, videos, appointment scheduling, custom forms, and more. All shareable with just one tap of this smart device. It's an unlimited use business card that you can change over time. The possibilities are endless. As an added bonus, if you purchase using promo code EmpoweringBusinessDFW, you will receive 15% off your entire order. Check the link in the show notes for more details. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Empower Business DFW Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Austin, and I'm super excited about this episode because, for one, uh, we are here at Code Ninjas here in Dallas, and two, I've got a great guy with me, full of knowledge, and he's going to share anything and everything he knows about coding and life in general. So, Jimmy, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate having uh, being on the show. Thank you very much. Of course. Like I mentioned, uh, we are here at Code Ninjas, and they are really focused on educating elementary and middle school students in the coding process along with drones. And he was just telling me some things that they're doing here on, aside from just coding. So I'm super excited to hear about that. So let's just start out with a quick introduction about Jimmy. Who's Jimmy? Sure. So uh, Jimmy is the uh, son of immigrants. I grew up in Houston. I grew up in uh, this little town called Pasadena. It's getting quite large, but just on the southeast side of town as you're heading down towards Galveston, right off 45 South. Uh, born and raised in Houston, my parents uh, fled Vietnam right after the war. So they were uh, refugees and um, fled in 75. I was born in 80. So born and raised in Houston. I grew up in Houston. Um, I have a twin brother and older sister and pretty typical uh, as can be, uh, you know, with all those circumstances. But I grew up in a basically kind of a middle class um, environment. My uh, parents were both uh, postal office workers for a while. They were clerks at the USPS. Um, and then I really came up to Dallas because I was granted a Hunt scholarship. And so the Hunt family is a prominent oil and gas family here in Dallas. And they've endowed a scholarship at Southern Methodist University. That's what brought me to Dallas. So uh, I moved up here and um, have spent some time out of Dallas, but that's what brought me up here. And then I, I met my wife at SMU. And uh, here we are, you know, starting a new business here in Dallas, Code Ninjas uh, in North Dallas. And um, that's a little bit about 
myself and my background. Yeah, it's always it's always cool to hear these uh, stories about you know coming here from a different country and sure. your parents trying to to plant their roots in this in the what we call the the U.S. system, right? And I know there was a big adjustment with that, but you know, growing up as a kid, what was what was something you remember your parents doing that that you maybe still think about today as you grow your, through education, through business, what is right. something like a foundational piece that your parents kind of instilled in you at an early age? Well, and this is partly what drew me to this business in particular out of a variety of things I was looking at, um, was education. Yeah. So, um, and you find this with, with a lot of first-generation immigrant families where education is really pushed um, strong, I mean, pedal to the metal. And, and partly that's because, you know, my dad aspired to be a lawyer. My mom aspired to be um, a teacher and other things. But when you come to a new country and you don't know the customs, the language, et cetera, you got to, you know, they were working in kitchens and doing what they could do, you know, bank teller, and then they moved on to the post office. But, um, and then my dad ended up owning a small business as well, which I'm happy to talk about. But what, uh, what that, you know, pushes you towards is education. So they always emphasized getting education yeah. um, and, and accumulating knowledge and degrees and really part of the drive, uh, you know, I ended up going and getting a couple of master's degrees as well, is that um, my mom always told me that, you know, once you get an education, that's something that nobody can ever take away from you. Yeah. You can make a ton of money, uh, but that can come and go, right? And life can come and go. All sorts of stuff can and can come and go. But a degree in education, you'd really take that to the grave with you, um, unless you did something egregious and the school or institution took, you know, has decided to, to take that back. It rarely happens, and so um, that really pushed me towards um, getting you know multiple undergraduate degrees and then trying to get multiple graduate degrees as well. I was I wouldn't when we set up this interview and you sent me your bio and I'm looking, I was like, man, Jimmy has six degrees. Right? Is that right? So true story. From, yeah, yeah. <laughs> four from SMU, two from Harvard, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, a lot of people struggle to just get one degree. So, aside from your parents really emphasizing the importance of education, what was your motivation behind just getting six degrees? Are they all? Do they all blend well together? Are they different um, avenues of education? Yeah. Great question. I think that um, I cheated a little bit. Uh, to be fairly honest, um, if you are selective in what you kind of decide to pursue um, at the undergraduate level, for instance, if you study political science and economics, you really only need like a couple of extra classes to do public policy. Nice. Because public policy is a combination of poli-sci and economics, you know, so you're looking at uh, drivers behind um, any of these decisions and you know, the economic impact and whatnot. So really get, it's a two, you know, uh, buy two, get one free type yeah. deal. And then um, for graduate school, when I was in uh, at Harvard, I did a joint degree. And so again, it was a, a joint thing where typically, let's say it would take you four years to do two separately. If you do them together, you can do it in three. So I, I did a lot of that creative maneuvering. Um, but it was also because, you know, I do like learning and kind of understanding and learning about new topics and new things. Yeah. And growing up, I, I always annoyed people because I asked a lot of questions and um, it can get taxing. You imagine like a little eight year old just like hammering away like 20 questions, you know, one after another, after another. And that that was uh, that was me. Yeah. And I, I always enjoyed learning. 
I think as a parent, I think we're both dealing with that right now with our kids. You know, what is this? Who is this? Why does this do this? And right. I think we can all understand where you're coming from on that one. And that's healthy. It could <laughs> it could drive uh, adults crazy, but I think it's you know healthy. But that kind of stayed with me growing up uh, was that kind of sense of curiosity yeah. and learning. So through your process, though, you didn't go just directly into entrepreneurship. You went kind of a corporate route as well. And that's an interesting conversation you and I had when we first started talking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't share a lot of what I do full time as a business, but, you know, working in the energy conservation space, uh, finding out that you worked for one of the companies that, you know, our product lines up well with, you know, walk us through that process. At what point whether it was with the company that you were with, did you realize like, I want to do my own thing. I have this entrepreneurship drive inside of me that um, I want to come out. At one point, did that hit you? I think I've always had the itch. I mean, gosh, thinking back, um, maybe even as an 18 year old, I had the itch, but I knew it wasn't going to fly just to go off and try to start something at 18. Although it's great. Many people do, and you can be, you can be successful. Um, you know, I have started a real estate venture, for instance, and in real estate, you really don't have to have any degree or credential. It's more about your deal flow, um, what was the last deal you did, and kind of building credibility through that means. But um, yeah, I've always had the itch, but, you know, once you go to college, typically, you know, the first thing you do is try to get like a degreed job, yeah. right? A, a job that has that uses those credentials. And so that leads many people into like banking or consulting or these different things. So I did enter a, a big three management consulting firm and then I did that. And that naturally leads to trying to get an MBA and then you go to an MBA and then, you know, who hires a lot of the large fortune 500 type companies. Right. And so I, I ended up at a fortune 500 company. Um, and so I was in corporate America in total for 15 years. So it's, you know, I'm a, a late bloomer in some respects, but I just read this thing recently from a publication where um, some of the more successful entrepreneurs start later in life. Mm-hmm. Like, and by late, I mean, I think the median uh, age for the most successful cohort was like 45, wow. which surprised me. Uh, and Jack Ma, who created this like big conglomerate in, China, I think he was above 40 or something when he even started. So, yeah, you hear of Bill Gates and some of these things, and they drop out of college, and then they become, you know, billionaires. But I think for the average entrepreneur, some level of experience, groundedness, financial stability, it's all really helpful as you kind of jump off this this cliff towards entrepreneurship. It's hard to do that when you're 21, you know. Um, Do you think... You know, with you having the strong background and emphasis from your parents of education and, and having all of these degrees and that path that you took, but I have some conversations sometimes with entrepreneurs that are successful and they never went to school. Sure. What if what if there was someone out there listening saying, you know, I'm I'm right now in between education path or entrepreneurship? Right. What advice would you have for them there? Wow, that's a tough one. I I have this debate with um, with my cousin actually, who hopes that by the time his kids get into college age, that the college system is somewhat gone and blown oh. up, because uh, you can learn a lot without having gone through a four year institution. Obviously, you can learn through books, you can learn through people reading, you know, getting out there, the meetup groups that, that you I know you're a part of. So 
and that's learning by doing, yep. by action. Um, what a degree does provide, I think, is a system for you to um, learn and grow as an individual. There's a lot of personal development having gone through, like let's say, a four-year residential college experience yeah. that is tough and difficult to replace. Yeah. And you people grow a lot between 18 and 22. You, yeah, you make mistakes. Maybe you fell out of the class. You know, you learn socially, all this stuff. And that stuff is um, pretty priceless, I think. And it that can actually help you in a later venture. Yeah. Um, and so I think some of that stuff, honestly, is more valuable than the education um, per se. And that, that life skills teaching is... is um, you know, some people can learn that through life experience by starting a venture early on yeah. and replacing um, the college experience with that. But the hard part is that if you fail, there's not really a good backstop. You don't have a degree like uh, for this venture that I'm doing right now that we'll talk about. If if it fails, I've still got my degrees. Maybe, you know, I could go work at a company. Yeah. You know, life's not going to fall apart. But if I did not have that, I think it would be much you know, more difficult, clearly. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, too. I think the foundational pieces of education, I remember going through school, and, and I was one of those that started school, college, three times, right? Um, you start, and then you fail, and then you start, and you drop out, and then, but it's that point when it sticks. Like, education is not necessarily here to teach me the ins and outs of certain classes, right. but the foundational pieces that you'll need to learn as a student of, of going through, and again, like you said, to your point, you can learn anything you want about anything in this world from YouTube, mm-hmm. right? You could sit through, and I always call myself YouTube certified uh, electrician and plumber and any household DIY project I, I learned from YouTube. and uh, But it's the concept of learning how to study, learning how to research, learning how to do different things, I think is right in line with what you're saying. It's, it's, um, it's very fundamental when it comes to the education portion, but it's not necessarily required. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. So going into the venture that we're here, we're at your facility here in Dallas, uh, Cold Ninjas, where, like I said, you are focused on educating elementary and middle school students. Um, on what exactly? Let's expand on that. Sure. Um, Code Ninjas is the world's largest and fastest growing kids coding concept. Uh, we are part of a international now. We have locations in the UK, uh, Canada, and the US. So we're really proud to be the first location here in Dallas. But what we do is we teach kids um, from age four to 14 fundamentally about computers and how computers think and how computers talk to one another. And they talk to one another through a language called coding. Of course, there's a lot of sub-languages under that, but you know, many people out there listening may have heard of things like JavaScript or Python or C-sharp, those are all specific languages. But just like you and I can't communicate if we didn't know English yeah. <laughs> um, or French or Spanish, etc., those are all languages, same with computers. So you become illiterate in this new world if you cannot think and act like a computer, you know. And um, we all have seen the importance of technology yeah. uh, through this pandemic and how how significant um, the technology companies have become. I mean, look at some of the most valuable companies in the world now. They're all predominantly driven by technology in yeah. some form or fashion. And all the old industries are, are converting over um, into kind of digital companies. And so what we do is we do focus on coding. That's a core component of what we do. 
but it's broader for us. It's about STEM-based education. So we have everything here from um, robotics kits to drones. We've got um, uh, various programs like Roblox, which you can actually code in. It's a game, but you can also code in Roblox. Minecraft, which is another very popular program. Um, and we have these, um, those are Kamigani robots behind you over there, Stephen. And those, you know, you can program those on a, it's coding. You can code those and program those on a app. And it allows the robot to do certain maneuvers and functions and light sure. up and things like that. And so all of it is communicating between a human and a computer or a device. And so uh, it, you know, it's amazing um, having jumped into this arena. I am not a um, IT professional by background, but I'm drawn to this next generation education and doing things that I feel like you know make a difference. And um, we have some kids enrolled in this program in this room where we're sitting in that are four years old. Wow! And so the beauty about um, kids now is you actually don't have to know how to read to code because there are... Uh, on a tablet, you hand a kid a tablet, and there are apps and programs that allow them to code using blocks. And so there's block-based coding. So um, it, it is a pretty phenomenal thing. And, um, you know, you go from that all the way to progressing onto PCs where, of course, they're using a laptop. They've got dual monitors. They're kind of reading script and um, you know, using the script to tell the computer to do certain things. But a kid can come in here with zero experience, and within a week they can learn the basics of JavaScript, and uh, then from there they can keep progressing and learning multiple languages. I I think I shared this story with you when we first met about you know my progress through programming right with mm. like C plus plus and it's sure. it is nowhere near what it was back yeah. when you know we were both born in the eighties so it's like computers have evolved so much and it's almost scary how much people rely on technology and it's right. like if you're not on the boat you're going to be left behind. And I think what you guys are doing here is it's pretty amazing because you're you're trying to make sure that they're focusing on kind of the right things within uh, computers and then going into other parts of like e-gaming and all of these things that we'll talk about here in a minute as well. But it's just a whole different world that is so – it's evolved so much since you and I were as a kid. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um and yeah, if, even if you think about on the gaming side, which we will, we'll talk about here, maybe and maybe it's a natural transition. But if you think about some of the games that we used to play, it was one-on-one um, -on -one interaction. There was no multiplayer gaming really, or it was you know just between you and a, and a device, usually a computer, and you were playing Mario Kart. Yeah. You know, and the, look at the graphics and um, the type of experience. There was no uh, live um, distribution of gaming. Yeah content, there was no Twitch, there was no um, YouTube gaming, Facebook gaming, those things didn't exist, but now it's become a spectator sport, yeah. really, right? And it's also become a revenue-generating multi-billion dollar industry. And so uh, it has changed vastly. And this is within a couple, de couple decades, 30, 20, 30 years? Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's been long. I mean, I'm thinking about when I was growing up as a kid playing uh, Pong on the, the Atari at my grandparents' right. house. right. And then we start evolving into other systems. But like you said, we would play either one-on-one -on -one or we would play against the computer. And now you have the ability to play with anyone in the world, right? Yep. And then you're selling out these big arenas, these big tournaments. And if you would have if you would have told anyone 
15 years ago that you could make a career out of gaming, probably would have laughed at you, right? Right, right. And now you have millionaires out there, these professional gamers, all they do is game. And, and I say all you do is game, but there's a lot to it, right? There's a lot of education behind it. It's just going back to the evolution of technology is pretty amazing. It is, it is. And, you know, um, what we do here, we don't expect or want every child that comes in here to be a computer coder. That's not the intent. What we want is to help build confidence and inspire kids around the possibilities of technology um, and what it can do. And so if you understand some of the underlying concepts, like what a loop is, what an algorithm is, and what an if-then statement, which all, all of these things are used in programming, um, then you can learn what's driving this app that you're using or um, why the computer is doing something when you thought it was going to do something else. And that's going to be important for the future. No yeah. matter what industry you're in, you could be in law or in medical. I'm fully convinced that you need some basic understanding of how technology overlaps with all these industries in the future. That's what we want our kids to, um, to leave with. And secondly, there's a lot of life skills kind of built into this. So um, what's unique about our curriculum is it's self-paced and independent. So when they come on, they're logging onto a computer and they start off as a white belt. There are modules within white and then they go to yellow. Nice. We just had a kid progress from white to yellow um, two days ago. Cool. And it's a nine level system all the way to black. And so what the kids do is uh, they learn about grit and self-reliance. Of course, if they run into issues, yeah. they're going to raise their hand and we'll come and help them. But we're not instructor-led. There's nobody standing up here and saying, this is lesson 1.2.3, you know, open up your book to page 42, and yeah. we're going to work these worksheets. That's not how we work. So it's a pretty um, neat and engaging environment, and we call it a dojo. It's not a computer lab. Uh, the, the students aren't students. They're ninjas, right. you know, and the instructors are called senseis. So there's a whole uh, kind of aura around it so that the kids are fully engaged. You can see some of the bright colors and whatnot, um, and they have fun, which is really critical and core to what we do while also learning. Yeah, I was chuckling what you said a few minutes ago about, you know, using what you have now for something you may use in the future. Yep. You know, the term algorithm is something we use in energy conservation space. Um, the if this, then that conversation happens in the lighting control world where if right. you do this, then that happens. Interesting. And so those two things stuck out with me because that's exactly what I do uh, in my full-time job is – algorithms and, and if this then that and if you want the building to function a certain way and, and anyway I just going back to that no, but you're not a coder right exactly. you're not a coder and the funny thing is we have some parents that are in the IT profession um, that send their kids here because obviously they're in IT but they're not coders yeah. they're um, let's call it they're on the enterprise software sales or there's so many components to it you know um or maybe they do uh, finance for a large SaaS company, you know, software as a service, but they're in the IT space. So I think having some awareness or understanding around technology, its uses, its implications, you know, machine learning, AI, all these kind of buzzwords, yeah. VR, uh, virtual reality, uh, all of these are just going to proliferate, honestly, in the, in the next generation. Like I have, um, I think we both have kids that are, 10 or under, I've got three of them. <laughs> and so their generation, you can only imagine what's going to happen in 20 years, right? The, the world they'll it's live in. Crazy. 
It's going to be crazy. I don't, it, it will. I don't even know what to expect on that. I mean, yeah, we'll both be holograms, you know, <laughs> interacting with them from uh, from another space or something. They're going to go to college and in their other room because there's VR world where you can sit through Harvard yeah. uh, from the comfort of your own home. That's just crazy to think about. Um, so with Code Ninjas, is this a, a membership type program? Is it specific courses that you register for and that's what you take? Or is there something like a membership where you get access to any and all things Code Ninjas? Sure. We do uh, membership-based programming. So our students join as ninjas. They get a wristband that coordinates and um, color coordinates with the level that they're at. When they come in, they scan in. And typically with our main program, you get two hours a week. And so you're coming in, checking in, scanning in on your own, coming in and logging into your um, game development platform. And that's where you're working. Very cool. And uh, we also, in, in terms of the, quote, class-based stuff, we offer summer camps winter camps and other things where you can sign up for a week of um, call it Minecraft. You know, a lot of young kids love Minecraft and there's actually a lot of uh, what they call modifications that you can do within Minecraft that um, enact and, in, and basically um, mirror coding. But you know what, if a kid is just at home working in Minecraft and especially if you're playing in Minecraft off a um, console it's, it's different than having the Java edition, which is what we use on a PC, yeah. which allows you to actually code, you know? So a lot of parents, and myself included, honestly, if I, I wasn't part of this business, I, I don't even get all the distinctions, but yeah. now I understand. Roblox, same same thing. Kids can play in Roblox till they're, you know, blue in the face, but they're not learning coding. But there's coding you can do. So if you sign up before a week or two of Roblox, kids can actually code their own scenes, their own backdrops, their own games in Roblox and release it into the ecosystem and then invite their friends to come and play their um, dungeon game that they created. So there's a lot of uh, learning embedded within these platforms. And of course, they're really popular and kids are really engaged and they love them. So you can sign up for specifics. We even have um, one on how to become a YouTuber. And it sounds silly, but there's a lot of stuff in YouTube around, as you know, um, audience creation, algorithms, how to create a channel, how to market that channel, um, how to even record and how to cut and yep. edit video. So we will teach that in a week um, okay, cool. during the summer. So we ha those are more um, semi more, you know, kind of instructor led and they're also time bound. Whereas our general membership based program, which happens throughout the year yeah. is uh, akin to a, uh, a gym membership, if you will. But we tell our parents and our kids, all you have to bring uh, we provide all the software. We buy license to all this stuff. We have the hardware. We've got all the equipment, the STEM kits and whatnot. You can come in flip-flops after soccer. You know, literally, kids do that. Um, and just bring your brain. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I'm thinking about, you know, growing up as a kid, how many hours I spent uh, in front of the screen on Xbox or PlayStation or it didn't matter. And I think sometimes as a parent, they start to worry about the amount of time you're spending in front of a screen, right? I think there's a lot of debate on even if computer games or video games are even good for you. Right. So, you know, knowing what we know now about what Code Ninjas does is building kind of some fundamentals to to kind of go through life with and never knowing those terms. Uh, I think it's very important that you're, that you're taking away the community that you're building within this too, not only locally in this room when we have, I don't know how many computers we have in here, but... 
um, everybody comes in there and starts building community. But when you're looking at the whole gaming community, sure, you're not doing it by yourself. You're not locking yourself in a room. I mean, technically, maybe you are, but you're not locking yourself in a, in a single space and not talking to anyone ever. Right. Um, so it, explain on that just a little bit about how um, gaming and just computers in general can help build a community. Sure. So, um, of course, we have Code Ninjas here. I'm also a league commissioner for an esports league called um, XP League. So what XP League does is we sign up um, youth into basically esports. Um, and so many people in the audience or listening may have heard of things such as League of Legends or Fortnite. You know, there's a number of these games that are multiplayer games um, that are really, really popular. And um, there's an entire subculture around this competitive gaming. And of course, uh, you can go pro. Um, but we're working at the youth level, pre-pro. But for a lot of kids that are playing these games, um, we want them to sign up through us and meet up every week and um, play and practice and then also play the scrimmages of the games on, on Saturday. So compare it to um, a 10-year-old that's signing up for youth soccer at the y, local Y. Um, of course, they're signing up as a team. They're practicing on Tuesday and they play the games on Saturday. We're doing the same situation where... Um, the kids are signing up through a team. It's a team name. You're practicing once a week, and you have a, a scrimmage or a, a game on Saturday, and then there's a whole season. And yeah. then at the end of the season, there's playoffs and a whole trophy, you know, the whole bit. But you're not just playing um, the school down the street. You're playing teams from Montreal, which we have a, a league commissioner over there. We have a league commissioner in Monterey and California. We've got one in um, South Carolina. So it really is uh, geographically um, unconstrained. And um, what we want to teach through XP League is productive um, team building, productive um, gaming, and teach kids that, you know, win or lose, it's about, you know, how you worked within the confines of a game to generate a result and what you learned out of it, you know, what, what you could take away from it that hopefully can be applied in other situations. Right. Because um, it's, you know, not every kid clearly is going to be a multi-million dollar um, esports player. Yeah. Um, so what can you get out of it that you can take with you for the rest of your life? And if we strongly believe if you're playing at home by yourself in your room, maybe with a headset, with other friends and stuff, you don't get that full experience that we provide, which is signing up through a league, signing up with a team of eight players, and doing it in a systematic fashion. So that's uh, that's XP League, and we're also launching that out of the same facility. Yeah, I just think going back to what we were saying about just gaming in general, it's it's pretty cool to see the evolution of it. And 10 years from now, who knows what happens? I think it's just it, it's going to be fun to sit back and just watch it. Right. Um, going back to Code Ninjas, you know, is there a question that you would ask yourself that I didn't ask you about Code Ninjas? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it, um, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, uh, you know, a lot of it from a business owner perspective looks really uh, fun and engaging and easy, but there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes yep. um, in creating and starting up a business that requires obviously a, a lot of grit and resilience. And I'll just hit on a couple of, of them. Uh, we've been in a very particular situation here obviously with COVID but um, 
you know, I had laid out the groundwork for starting Code Ninjas while I was still working in corporate America. And in fact, I bought the franchise rights. You, um, you know, you sign a FAA, it's called, but you sign a um, um, agreement, you buy territories and all that stuff. So I did that probably 18 months ago. But kid you not, you know, from that time to March 23rd, which is when we did our soft opening, we've had a tornado that blew through Preston Hollow, right about a mile from here. Uh, Royal and Preston was where it really hit. Uh, we're at Forest and Preston. We had a pandemic hit that shut down businesses. If I was open during that pandemic, I would have been forced to shut down like every other small business that was non-essential. Um, of course, you know, we've had a, a, a historic snowstorm. Yep. Um, and our furniture delivery was coming that week of the wow. snowstorm. And so there was all sorts of mess, you know, and um, we had to get permits for this whole space, um, plumbing, electrical, pl you know, the whole, th the whole thing, HVAC permits. And we were probably six to eight months delayed. Um, if, if you look up City of Dallas permits, you can see that there has been tremendous um, issues with our permitting de department due to uh, the you know, pandemic and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's not easy. Um, but, you know, you just keep your head down and keep pushing along and keep going. And as a small business owner, and we all know, the beauty about a small business owner and the downside is that the buck stops with you, yep. right? Uh, if somebody comes in here, a customer comes in here, and we're not satisfying you know, them or living up to our brand promise, two calls and they get right up to me, yep. or actually one call and they get straight to me. And that's the distinction between a small business and a larger enterprise is that many times with a large enterprise, you can make calls all day. Yeah. You'll get to pass it around. But, you know, who owns it? A group of shareholders. And how do you get to that? You know, board of directors. But you're never going to get to the final person. Yeah. With a small business, you, you know, you get right there. And that's, um, that's neat. But it's also, you know, a lot of weight, <laughs> when, especially when you're, you know, uh, working against these forces that are a little bit beyond your control. Yeah, I think one of the big, and I kind of wanted to lead you into that because, you know, you and I talked about this earlier about the importance of, of those who are wanting to start businesses, understanding that it's not easy because sometimes the term entrepreneurship can be defined as, you know, I can work a couple hours a week or a couple hours a day, uh, make a million bucks and just retire by the time I'm 25. And so giving the realistic expectation from your perspective of True. being an entrepreneur and a small business owner, what it truly takes uh, and the the obstacles that can be thrown in your way sometimes because nobody saw a pandemic coming. Nobody saw the freeze coming. Right. Nobody saw all the backups and the, the issues that were going to happen because of those things. Um, and so sometimes maybe when you have it in your head, just I'm going to start this business and be successful immediately, um, just really kind of giving it a realistic expectation, right? Right, for sure. And, uh, you know, there's different levels of entrepreneurship, but all of them requ require that grit and perseverance. So I'll just classify like three broad categories, um, and we'll start easy to hard. Easier is um, buying a pre-existing business. There are a lot of small businesses being exchanged. You can go on these business buy-sell sites. People buy websites. You can buy all sorts of little businesses, um, maybe even a franchise, restaurant, et cetera. Um, the next one is uh, what I did, which is starting up a small business, whether it could be a franchise or your own concept, your own um, you know, hamburger, you know, wh whatever it is. 
idea, but you start it soup to nut A to Z, and you see the whole thing come about. Yeah. Um, there's some reward to it, but it's a little bit harder, right? Because there's no customers. Like literally, you start open day one. If you're not pushing out there, doing your thing, nobody's gonna walk through the door. Trust me, nobody's gonna walk through the door. <laughs> uh, you got to get out there, right, and uh, and work it. And then the next level up, which is the most difficult, is starting the entire concept and brand and stuff from scratch. And that's um, stuff you hear about Uber and Airbnb and things like that. But that's not easy. Those are usually 10-year journeys yeah. for someone to get from, from zero to, to even that, anywhere close to that type of scale. And, of course, you're having to prove out the concept, the brand, everything, A to Z. And most of those, to be honest, um, there's – hear about the big names but a lot of them don't make it yep. um, they have to raise money they have to do all sorts of things but all of them require um, you know the entrepreneurial grit and resilience um, and it's it's definitely not easy I think you take a lot of um, you take a lot of risk without a certain return mm -hmm. and I always tell people that uh, ask me I mean if you really wanted to make money honestly you, you don't do any of those three things <laughs> the safer cleaner easier way is to try to probably work your way up into a, a fast-growing business mm -hmm. and potentially have some ownership or shares or something in those businesses. Yeah. Uh, that's the easier way. But, you know, I think um, some of us, yourself included, you started this podcast, you have that itch where you want to explore, you want to create, you want to innovate, you want to do something on your own maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you just draw, you're, you're driven by that passion. Yeah. If you're doing it for the money, it's... I wouldn't do it for the money. <laughs> well, I mean, you hear that all the time from a true perspective of business owners. Don't do it for the money. Do it for the passion of what you're trying to, to promote or sell or offer. Right, right. right. Um, but, you know, again, if there were a listener out there kind of tuning into this episode right now, what advice would you give to somebody who is, who is interested in starting a business? I would say uh, a couple of things. I think you need to act and... Um, Act, I don't mean like take massive action. Don't quit your job tomorrow and, and, you know, just go off the deep end, but start to take baby steps. Um, go buy a book about entrepreneurship. Go read blogs and then start telling people. Something that's really powerful, that's a simple concept, is verbalizing what you want to do. That's good. If you don't, if you just think it and keep it nestled away in the back of your mind, nothing's ever going to happen. <laughs> but I always started telling people early on, even though they thought I was kind of, crazy and, and cuckoo that, you know, I would say, you know, I really want to start a small business. And they're like, what? You're, you know, you're doing this in this big company. How are you going to start a business? And like, no, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. And then they're like, oh yeah, sure. You, you're never going to do that. And it challenges you to say, do I really want to do it? And it also challenges you to start taking action and steps towards that. Um, so I always, you know, I think that that's really important. Take some baby steps, start verbalizing, start doing research and diligence and make, you know, making moves. Um, Thinking it and just holding yourself in that little prison's never gonna make anything happen, you know. I think saying it out loud helps solidify the idea. Um, you know, I I've, I've had a lot of ideas in my pop in my head sometimes, and I'll speak it out loud, and my wife's like, "Yeah, or yeah, yeah that's a good idea." And I think helping having a different opinion, whether that's a mentor, whether that's a spouse, whether that's you know a friend, them trying to help you solidify that concept, sure, um, helps. And I think a, a second part of that is just the whole act portion, yeah. right? In, in these interviews, I've heard it several times, majority of them that have come on this podcast talk about they hustled for years mm -hmm. 
while in a corporate position. And it was taking that step and taking that action that really put them out there. Because if you don't ever act, you're going to live in the what if world. Right. right. So what if I would have done this? What if I would have done this? But instead you act. And that was with this podcast. Like I was like, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm going to try it. And I acted on it. And now we, here we are a year later it's, it's still moving in the right direction. So I think that those are the things that stuck out from what you were saying is acting on the idea, their concept, but also saying it out loud. Right. Yeah. No, I couldn't have said it better. Um, so what is one thing, what is the most important thing that you want a listener to take away from our conversation today? I think that um, a listener should think about the underlying motivation and why they want to do something. Yeah. It's great. A lot of people say, ah, I want to I want to be a business owner. Why? Yeah. And let me just give you a, a simple explanation. So, um, okay, I want to uh, start a business. Why? To make a lot of money. Why? Then I can spend more time with my family. Why? Because my parents didn't have the flexibility to spend a lot of time with their kids because they were out working, you know, 12-hour yeah. shifts. So get under that. And for me, you know, my kids are part of this program now, and it's become a, a, a family, kind of a family business, you know, we're very you know, small, local, and all that stuff. But it's starting to answer the why for me, and I think that's important because you don't want to do it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we wrap up, I want to give you the opportunity to do some shout-outs. Anybody that's been through your journey along the way, you've never – building a business is never easy by yourself, right? There's sure. people involved in that. So I want to give you the opportunity to thank those people. Sure. Um, well, I just want to highlight two people. One is my twin brother, Johnny. They're both entrepreneurs. Johnny uh, worked in corporate America as an engineer and left. He's now a uh, real estate developer, and so he's out there hustling – um, finding lots, he's hiring GCs, he's building t- townhomes and selling them at a, a small scale, but um, he took a lot of guts and courage yeah. to do that. Uh, he has a young kid, wife, you know, all this stuff. So it um, that's one little spotlight, and it. I, I I told him you're crazy, don't do it. You have no, you don't know anything about construction, but you know he was a mechanical engineer. He can figure stuff out, yeah. um, and you know here he is. He's been pretty successful. Um, still in the journey, still hustling, but he's, he's making it happen. The other example is my friend and college roommate, Dawn. She is the owner-operator of a Chick-fil-A in um, Corsicana, mm-hmm. south of here. So people say, oh, you know, owner-operator must be easy. You just sit back make a lot of money, you know, because you, you get a share of the upside, the profits. But it's not easy. Yeah. To become an owner-operator at Chick-fil-A is, is more selective than going to Harvard. And she was out there hustling. She was working 70 hours a week, making no pay, just just going at it, going at it, before she even got the chance to interview, to do this, that, to then get a, a mall store wow. and then work under another guy and then finally get her own store and then move across state. And now she's back home, you know, closer to Dallas uh, and has her own large operation. That's and awesome. so, yeah, it, um, you know, that grit and, and that perseverance yeah. is really key. Yeah, I heard a story one time about somebody that went through that similar journey um, of early in the entrepreneur, early in the stages of, of Chick-fil-A and the process it takes. Sure. It's almost insane. If you, for the listeners, if you don't know what that process is, just Google. Research, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just Google how to own a Chick-fil-A or how to be, you 
be amazed how much, even though it's considered quote unquote fast food, right? Right. The process behind it's long, but, um, where can, where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? If they want to reach out, learn more about code ninjas, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, easiest is, um, on our website, code ninjas.com. We also are on Instagram at code ninjas, Preston hollow, and also on Facebook at code ninjas, Preston hollow. So, uh, those are the easiest. Yeah. For other listeners, I'll put all that information in the show notes and, uh, man, it's been fun. Thank you for having me come to your place and thank you for, you know, just educating us on the process. And, uh, for the listeners out there, if you are interested in, getting your kiddos in here and just learning the process of coding and just really getting them involved in the computer tech world. Uh, this is a great start. So uh, follow tech or follow code ninjas uh, in the tech community. And uh, again, all of their contact information is in the show notes of this episode. And thank you very much for joining me today. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Appreciate all you do. that wraps up this episode of the podcast and thank you for tuning in this week if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe so you get notified when a new episode releases every week and if you are a visual person feel free to check out the youtube channel do you want to be a guest on the show if you do send me an email to empoweringbusinessdfw at gmail.com and as always thank you for listening stay well and god bless